you got a copy of God's Word, open it up to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. This is where we started last week in a brand new series called Shooting Straight About Parenting. And uh, this is something that I think is super important for all of us as a church to be thinking about how are we raising our kids uh, underneath the Lord and, and in His uh, ways. And so we're going to dive back into that again today in Psalm 127 and then kind of press deeper in um, with some new information there as well. So if you were here last Sunday, um, you remember I was, we started the parenting series. And I told you a story about Eliana and me disciplining her in a unique way. Um, and so we got home from church last week and we were having a conversation. I don't know if you have this with your kids, but we we're sitting down at the table and said, how was church? What did you learn today? And we're kind of going through the thing. And it comes out that evidently last Sunday, Eliana, our oldest, was um, helping with one of the younger children at some point. I don't know exactly what. Um, and as she's helping with one of the younger kids, um, she got bit. Um, thankfully, uh, she did not bite them back as discipline. Um, so we can praise the Lord for grace, right, that the sins of the Father don't always go on to the children. And so um, we can just thank the Lord that he is uh, thankful or gracious to us in all of that. Um, and, uh, but thankfully, God is building a house in our families even when we mess it up. I hope you got that last week, and I hope you were encouraged if you're a parent last week that even in our worst moments, that God is still at work and He's still building the house. And so I want to revisit that today and then press deeper in. So let's look at Psalm 127 together. It says, verse 1 Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So again, the beginning of this psalm starts off with this phrase that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, right? Even on my best days, my best parenting without the Lord is in vain. Um, it has to come from him. It has to flow through him. He has to be the center of it all because God is actually the one building the family. We're just tools in his hands. And we learned that last week, the first thing he wants to do is he wants to build the parents using the children as a blessing, and then he wants to build the children using the parents as the tools to build the house that is honoring to the Lord. But then in the second part of this psalm, there's a different analogy. He kind of flips it on us, and he says that children are like arrows. We talked about this just a little bit last week. We talked about that unlike um, this arrow, um, our arrows are not straight, right? When we get our arrows, when the children come to us, they are bent. Um, they are sometimes broken. They are, need, and they are in need of help and assistance. Um, and so our job as parents is to straighten the arrows and then to sharpen the arrows and then to shoot out the arrows for the Lord uh, in a way that's going to honor him and glorify him. Right? But if children are arrows... That if we take the analogy a step further, that means that if children are arrows in the hands of parents, parents are warriors in the hands of God. And that's what I want to talk about today. Parents are warriors in the hands of God. Now, arrows are great, but arrows are actually kind of useless if you don't put them with something like this, Right? An arrow is not going to do you much good until you have a bow in which to shoot it out of. And so the bow's fine, the arrow's fine, but apart from each other, they don't do much. When we put them together, now we have some serious weaponry that God can use to go to battle for his kingdom and to do something great for his name, but they have to be used together. All right? And so if the children are the arrows, the bow now represents us as parents, the warrior, in the hand of God that he's going to use to do some battle. But here's the thing. Most parents don't understand that they're in a battle. They're oblivious to the fact 
that there is a war going on and that they are smack dab in the middle of it and that God is wanting to use them to fight on his behalf. And so the first thing I want you to know this morning, parents, is that parenting is war. Some of y'all are like, you ain't got to tell me. Like, come to my house, you'll see it, right? Like, just, just give me five minutes and you'll see exactly. No, that's not the kind of war I'm talking about, okay? Um, because the key to being a good warrior, the key to winning the battle, winning the war, is knowing who your enemy is, right? You have to know who you're fighting against. You have to know what the purpose is and where you're headed. And parents, parenting is war, but you have to know this. Number one, your children are not your enemy. Satan is your enemy. Now, maybe some days it doesn't feel like that, okay? But what we see in Scripture, what God tells us is that children are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy, and children are supposed to be the weapon that God has given us, the arrows that we use to help fight against the enemy in this great battle that God is waging. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, We war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in the spiritual realm. Some of you are like, Micah, that sounds kind of weird. Fighting this, that sounds like a horror movie. Like, I, I don't know about all that spiritual realm stuff. And well, I can just tell you this, if you don't get this right, if you don't start winning this battle, your life's going to feel like a horror movie. Okay, because this is a real deal that God is doing in, in doing all around us and working in and through his people to fight in this way. And so we are in the middle of a war between truth and lies, between good and evil, between light and and darkness, and parents, you are right in the middle of it. You are on the battlefield, whether you like it or not. And your enemy is Satan. You know what Satan's name actually means? The word Satan, the name Satan actually means adversary. Right? By his very nature, that's what he is. Now, he wasn't always that. If you know, if you know kind of your Bible a little bit, um, Satan wasn't always uh, an enemy of God. He wasn't always an enemy of us. If we go to Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel 28, we can see that originally he was actually an angel. And not just any angel, he was the worship leader of angels in heaven. That's not saying anything about Nathaniel. I'm just like saying like this is who he was, okay? So, like, so he had some influence in the kingdom, but there came a point where his job was to direct everyone to give glory to God, and at some point he decided he wanted some of that glory for himself. And he wanted to start putting that attention in that direction towards himself. And so he rebelled against God, and he went to war against God with a third of the angels, and God kicked him out of heaven. And you know what he's doing today? All these years later, you know what he's still doing today? The exact same thing. Leading a rebellion, leading a war against God. And what he wants more than anything is to take you and your children as part of his team to fight in war against the God of the universe. Thankfully, as Christians, we have a book that God has blessed us with. We have God's word that tells us how it's all going to end, right? If you've read the end of the, the book, you know that at the end, God Almighty steps down and he wins the war. And if we are with him, we will win with him. But right now, until that day comes, in this age, we're still stuck in the middle of the battle. And we're battling for the hearts of our kids. Your child is not your enemy. In fact, if anything, your child is like a POW. They're a prisoner of war because of the sinfulness of their heart. And our job is not to fight them, it's to fight for them and to rescue them and to liberate them and to pull them out of that bondage and get them over to the right side of the battle so they can fight for the Lord rather than against the Lord. Which brings us to the second part about parenting being a war. Gospel-centered parents fight for their kids so that one day they can fight alongside their kids. It's about bringing our children onto the side of Jesus Christ so that they're fighting the right side of the battle. 
There's another verse that you're probably familiar with, 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Now, a lot of times when we read that verse, I think we tend to, our first reaction is to kind of go somewhat selfish with it. Like, like that verse is for like, I need to be watchful, I need to, to be sober-minded, I need to make sure the devil doesn't get me. And that's good. But as parents, we need to read that as warriors. Because Satan's not just coming after you. He's not just trying to devour you. He's trying to devour your kids as well. And your job as the warrior in the home is to fight on their behalf and to stand watch over them and to be sober-minded for them. Verse 9 goes on to say, resist him, firm in the faith. This is the cry. This is the call to battle. The job of the warrior is to stand up and to resist the opposition. James 4, 7 builds on this and he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and here's the promise. He will flee from you. That is God's promise to every warrior who stands up to fight against the enemy, that if we stand in the word and in the spirit of God, he will flee from you. That's how you win the battle. For you and for your kids. So the first thing, parents, you've got to get in your head, the thing you have to start seeing, the, the lens you need to see this is that parenting is war. Okay? And out of that, point number two, gospel-centered parents fight for their children to be blessed by God. Right? What are we fighting for? It's for blessing. And so I want to move now into Psalm 128. So if you still got your Bibles open there, it's a new psalm, right? New chapter. But the same theme, same subject. So look with me at Psalm 128 and verse 1. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want for our kids, right? All parents, like, we want our kids to be blessed. Verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And look at verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. This is, this is like a, a future promise now, a future prophecy. Like if you will do these things, if you will fight in this way, if you will follow the Lord, then you will be blessed like this. The Lord will bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all of your days. And may your children's children. So now we're talking about grandparenting, not just parenting. And your children's children you will see, and peace be upon Israel. The goal of godly parents is for their family to be blessed by God for generations. Right? We're not just talking about kids now, we're talking about our kids' kids. And we want to start a line, a lineage, a, a chain that's going to keep going generation after generation after generation that are being raised in the blessing of the Lord. So how do we do that? Well, verse 1 gives us the job description of the gospel-centered parent who's looking for the blessing on their family. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. If you, want, if you want to be blessed, if you want your children to be blessed, if you want your family to be blessed, this is how it works. Fear the Lord, walk in his ways. Great. How do I teach my kids to do that, right? I, I've been trying this for a number of years now, Micah, and it's not going super well. So, like, how do I do that? How do I teach them those things? How do I get them there? For that, we need to go to the New Testament, so we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This will be on the screen for you. If you don't uh, want to flip there, that's fine. Um, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, notice something here for a second. Before I even jump into the verse, notice how it starts. Fathers. This verse is addressed specifically to fathers. In fact, the vast majority of parenting verses in the Bible are addressed to fathers. Why is that? Because we need way more help than mothers. 
maybe that, but maybe it's this, I think more this. We have a problem in our culture today where many of you men think that parenting is woman's work. That's not what the Bible says. God calls the men, the fathers. Now, I'm not saying we don't need mothers too, we need both, right? We need mothers and fathers to bring good, well-rounded, godly children up. But men, we have the responsibility to stand over this and be responsible to God for this at the end of the day. It's on us. That's just free this morning. It has nothing to do with anything else. Okay, so fathers, look what it says. Do not provoke your children to anger. See, that's what happens when a father gets out of balance in his fathering. He gets angry with his children, and angry fathers produce angry children. And so as we lose it with our kids, we are then provoking them into the same type of behaviors. So he says, don't do that. Instead, look here, here's the important part, look at the second part. Bring them up in the discipline of, and the instruction of the Lord. Now, this verse, very interestingly, parallels Psalm 128, verse 1, right? So let's look at here. It's on the screen for you. What do we want to do? First, we want to teach them to fear the Lord. How do we teach our kids to fear the Lord? With discipline, right? How do we, uh, then secondly, we need to teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord. How do we teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord? Through instruction, so these are the tools we have, parents, to raise our kids in the life that we bless by God. Discipline and instruction. So let's take some further steps in that. Children learn how to walk in the ways of the Lord through a parent's instruction. Right? This is the first thing that we have to start doing as parents um, when our kids are born from very early ages is we start teaching them how to live through our example of our lives, but also through the, the language and the, the, the verbal instruction that we give them, right? All the way back to, you know, don't spit your food out. You need to chew that and swallow that. You need that for nutrition. Um, you know, don't throw your cup at your sister's head. Like, that's not okay. And we start teaching them. We start instructing them, right? Here's how you tie your shoes. Here's how you read a book um, so you can one day read the Bible. Um, here's how you make money, Here's how you save money. Here's how you spend money on things that are actually valuable. Um, These are all things that kids have to be taught these things. They don't just know them. They need instruction. They need spiritual instruction. This is how you pray. This is how you obey the Lord and his commandments. This is how you please the Lord with your life. They have to be taught. They they need instruction so they can follow the ways of the Lord. And Scripture promises that if we teach them to do these things, that they will be blessed by the Lord. So instruction is necessary for walking in the ways of the Lord. But then number two, children learn to fear the Lord through a parent's discipline. Through their loving discipline. Okay, now I want to give you another verse here. And I already know some of you, this verse is going to freak you out. Can you handle it? Can you handle this today? Like, can you handle a verse from God's word that some of you might be like a little upset about today? Can we do that? Proverbs 13, 24. Look at this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Now, put a pin in that. All right, all that angst and anger you're feeling right now that I just read that and you're like, I can't believe you said that in 2021. Put a pin in that for just a moment. We're actually going to deal with the rod next week. You get to sit on that all week. You're welcome, okay? The second part of the verse is where I want to focus today. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Notice the correlation there. He who loves him disciplines him. Some of you are like, oh, my guy, I just... They're, they're my little sweetie, you know, they're my little, my little angel. I, I just, I couldn't possibly discipline, couldn't, I couldn't possibly spank them or discipline, I couldn't correct them in that way. Like, I just love them too much to put those boundaries on them, to, to force them to do something they don't want to do. I just, I could never do that to them. I love them too much. Look at the verse. It's not that you love them too much. 
It's that you love them too little. If you don't love them enough to give them temporary discipline now in hopes that you might save them from eternal discipline and pain in the future as you turn them away from their sin, as you win their hearts for Christ, then you don't love them enough. Because he who loves him disciplines him. Loving them means giving them temporal pain now in hopes that their heart will turn to Christ and they won't experience eternal pain in hell. That's how much we love our kids. So gospel-centered parents want their children to be blessed and so we discipline them and we instruct them so they can fear the Lord and so they can walk in the ways of the Lord, right? So let's dig in a little bit more on that for point number three. Gospel-centered parents fight with love and discipline, all right? These are, our, these are our, our, our weapons as warriors in the battle. We need love and we need discipline in order to fight for the hearts of our children, so let's just kind of do a little self-assessment this morning. How are you doing, parents? How are you doing with discipline? How are you doing with love? Right? Because it's really not one or the other. It's the balance of both together that make a gospel-centered home. We've got to have both. There are some days, let's just be honest, parents, there are some days where we love our kids, but we don't really do much discipline. We're just like, I'm tired, I can't today. Like, you're just... Or some days we're like, we're on the discipline thing, but there's not much love flowing. Right? Some days we don't love or discipline. We just try to like wish them out of existence. Like there's just like God, just take them home and send me another one. Right? Like that's just just being real. Right? We're parents too. But what if we could measure these things? What if there's some way that we could actually objectively measure the discipline and the love that you are giving in your home? In fact, what if we just maybe took this and we made a little. Let's pretend that this represents your love for your children from like zero to 100. Let's say that somehow we could quantify your love for your children. We could give you a score of zero to 100 in the love category. Where would you fall in that today? And then secondly, let's do the same thing with discipline. Let's say that if we could categorize, if we could quantify your discipline in your home, zero to 100, what would that look like? It's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's oftentimes hard to do this. But if we were to do this, we could then take each one of us and we could put ourselves in maybe one of these four quadrants, one of these four categories of parenting, right, based on our, our love and our discipline score, and maybe see where we're at and how we can move closer to who Christ is and how he's called us to be gospel-centered parents. Now, before I jump into these categories, let me just say, any of us, myself included, could be any one of these four at any given moment in time, right? Like, you, it's not like you're stuck in one. You, we move around a lot, especially as my heart starts to drift from the gospel, I'll fall into some of these other categories. But most of us tend to spend most of our time in one of the four. And that's what we want to zero in on today. And sometimes it's hard to see yourself in this. It's usually a lot easier for you to see your parents in this, right? You're like, oh yeah, that was mom, that was dad, right? So maybe, good exercise, maybe, maybe you need to have a conversation with your kids. Like, how, how, how's, how's daddy doing on love and discipline? Now, they're kids, right? So they're gonna be like, oh, love is, love is maybe a little bit more love, but discipline's great. No more discipline, discipline's good. Like, we're, we're good in that, like just the, so you gotta kinda, you know, it's not an exact science, right? So you gotta kinda let the Holy Spirit work that out for you and, and figure that out. But, but maybe we need to get some gauge on how we're doing with these, okay? So let's talk about four types of parents, categories, if you will, based on love and discipline. Number one is the neglectful parent. The neglectful parent is the one who is both low on love and low on discipline. Um, 
And sometimes, again, sometimes the easiest ways to really understand these types of parenting is to actually see a, an example, a biblical example. So there are lots of examples throughout the Bible of parenting. Here's one example of a neglectful parent. Let's look at Lot. You guys remember Lot, right? Abraham's um, uh, 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 family member that comes with him over into the promised land. He's following because of God's promise. But at some point, they get over there, and they decide that the, the two families are too big, and they have to split up, right? And so Abraham's like, you go wherever you want to go, Lot. I'll go the other way. And so Lot looks around, and he decides to go towards Sodom. Right? And the scripture tells us that when he chooses that, when he gets down close to the city, he realizes that the city, it says specifically, was um, wicked, and that the men in the city were great sinners. And this is the city that was appealing to Lot. He was like, yeah, let's, let's raise our family here. This, is, this would be a great spot to put in some foundations. And, and so he moves his family into the city of Sodom. And the city was so wicked that later on God sends two angels to destroy it. Right? He's like, I'm done with you guys. You're, you're, too, you're too far gone. Like, we're just going to level set this. And so he sends two angels to do that. And the angels, first they go to warn Lot of what's coming so him and his family can leave the city. And as they go to warn him, Lot says, well, we'll come into the house and let's, let me ha- I'll make a dinner. You guys can stay the night here. Like, we'll take care of you. Like, be our guest for the night and then tomorrow morning we'll leave. So the angels come in, and later on that night, the story goes that the men of Sodom, um, who if you know anything about that word Sodom, you can kind of get an idea of what kind of men they were, come and they decide that they want to have their way with these two guests of Lot, and they start banging on the door and asking him to put these men out so they can have them. And Lot, in this moment, his response to that mob at his front door was, no, 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 you can't have these men, these are my guests, I'm taking care of them. They're under my charge. Instead, here are my daughters. What? Are you kidding me? Fathers in the room, like, if, if you show up to my house with that, like, you're going to see the warrior come out. Just a little PSA in church this morning. We have something up in the closet, and you're going to see it if you come to my house asking for that, Okay? Like, listen, that's not the way this rolls. But Lot, he's going to give his daughters because he's a neglectful parent. He's more concerned about himself and his well-being and his wants and his desires than he is his kids. So, here are the characteristics of a neglectful parent. Someone who has no regard for the protection or the direction of their children. They're not setting any boundaries. They're not protecting them in any way. Oftentimes, these kind of parents even wish that they never even had kids. It's like, man, I wish, I wish this never had happened. They want to just go on with their life, whether that be their career or their ministry or their fantasy football league or whatever their thing is that always takes more precedent in their life than their kids do. They don't teach them about faith. They don't teach them about sin. They don't teach them about the ways of the Lord or to fear God or to forgive others. They don't take them to church. They don't read the Bible with them. They don't pray with them. They, they are absent. They are neglectful parents because they would rather be doing other things. And the impact that this has on our kids is the kids come out as vulnerable because they don't have anybody to teach them. They don't have anybody to lead them or instruct them. So they have to learn life from YouTube and MTV. Is MTV still a thing? That, that was like my kid. Okay. Um, Netflix or um, Instagram or like they're, they're learning life from all these social outlets that like has the wrong answers. They don't have parents to instruct them to lead them in the ways of the Lord. And the reason that neglectful parents are this way is because they have an idol of comfort. They don't want anything or anybody to interrupt their comfortable way of life that they have chosen. They'd rather scroll Facebook for hours than have a face-to-face conversation with their kids. They'd rather build their career or their business rather than build up the heart of their children. They'd rather still 
be acting like a kid than raising a kid. I read an interesting article recently by Lisa Brenner. Um, You might not know her, um, but she is the biological daughter, firstborn, of Steve Jobs. Um, And if you don't know who Steve Jobs is, maybe you can Google that on your iPhone and figure it out. Um, but, But Lisa, come to find out, what happened was when Steve was 23... He had a one-night stand um, with, uh, with a woman, and Lisa was the result of that. And so for years, he denied that she was his daughter. He took no responsibility. He wanted nothing to do with her or the mother, completely pushed And then finally, the court ordered a DNA test and proved that, in fact, it was his daughter. And, um, and then they went into legal battles for some time over not wanting to pay child support. And so finally... Steve Jobs settled in court to pay $500 a month to Lisa's mother until she was 18 years old. And the reason that they settled in court so quickly is because it was four days before Apple went public. And overnight, Steve Jobs was worth $200 million, paying $500 a month child support for his firstborn child. And years after that, they would have some connection. They would talk sometimes. They would see each other occasionally. But really, he was still considered to be continued to be absent from her life, was not involved. He was a neglectful parent to Lisa. I think this is a telling illustration. I'm not trying to put a a black mark on Steve Jobs. That's that's between him and the Lord. I'm I'm not his judge. But I think it's an important illustration because we look at guys like him as so important, so successful, so great in their life and in their accomplishments. But here's the reality, friends, that no matter what you accomplish in life, if you do not fight for the heart of your child, you fail. There is no greater thing that you can do for the Lord. If you're a parent, then fight for the heart of your child and bring them to Christ. And so as I talk through that first one today, I I don't know, maybe... That sits heavy for some of you today. Maybe you're feeling the weight of that, like that, used, that was me when my kids were younger, or that's me now, or that was my parents, that's what I got from, from maybe you're feeling the weight of some of that, and I just want to remind you what we talked about last week again, that even if that's the case for you or for your parents, that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is grace. And that God can step in, and he can save, and he can redeem And he can bring back all those lost years. If you need to go back and reconcile with a kid, if you need to go back and repent and ask for goodness, praise the Lord, go do that and let God work grace in your life and redeem those things back to himself. And if this was your parents, maybe this is a point where you can start to move towards understanding them and getting to a place of being willing to forgive them and let God's grace wash over that relationship as well. Second parent we need to look at is the authoritarian parent. Some of you are like, I wish I would have had that guy. I wish I would have had the neglectful parent because I had the authoritarian, and they were low in love, but they were high in discipline. Right? I never saw the love, man, but I sure felt the discipline, and it was painful. Biblical example for authoritarian parent, let's look at King Saul in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 20, we find out that King Saul... One of his sons' name was Jonathan, and Jonathan became best friends with David, who just happened to be the guy that God picked for Saul's replacement, (laughs) and he was going to be taking over the kingdom, and uh, Saul didn't like that. He didn't like the idea of not being king anymore, and so David became his adversary, and now his son is best friends with his adversary, and this created a lot of tension in the home. And so at one point, Saul is so angry with Jonathan about this, it says that his anger was kindled towards Jonathan, he starts to speak to his son, and he says, you are a son of a perverse and rebellious woman, and you are friends with David to your shame. And we see this language continue in their relationship where Saul was trying to shame and belittle and tear down Jonathan with his words in order to control him and to make him submit to his father. Later on, Saul gets so angry that he throws a spear at Jonathan at dinner trying to kill him. And Jonathan is able to 
dodge it, thankfully, and then he says in the scripture that he rose from the table in anger. Remember what we said earlier? Angry father equals angry children. And it says that Jonathan was grieved because he was disgraced by his father. This is an authoritarian parent. Authoritarian parent characteristics, they're They use harsh discipline in the home in an effort to shame and to control the kids. I'll put my thumb on you so hard that you won't ever think about doing anything else but submitting to me. That's the authoritarian parent. They discipline without love. And when you discipline without love, it brings disgrace into the heart of the child. And the impact on the kids is that the kids become disrespectful. What would you expect? They are constantly disrespected by their father, and so they then respond in kind. And everything that their parents want for them, they don't want anything to do with, right? Like, no God, no church, no faith, none of that. Like, they rebel against everything. Everything their parents don't want them to do, they are running towards that. And they are just waiting for the day that they can run as far away, as fast as they can, from their parents to get out of this situation. They're angry, pick fights, bully. They have to show everybody else that they're worthy or they can force respect. That's what they learned from their father. Because the idol of the authoritarian parent is control. Right? That's what they're going after. The parent has such deep insecurity and such fear of losing control that they try to power over people. They try to force control. They try to force respect. Because they are not respectable in their behavior, they try to take respect by disrespecting others. Some of you are like, Micah, that was my home. <laughs> like, like, everything you're saying, it's just like, it's like flashbacks. That was my parent. And I told myself when I had kids, I would never be like that. That's a good thing. But be careful about overcorrecting from the sins of your parents. Because oftentimes it can lead you to other sins in parenting as well, which leads us to the third type of parenting, permissive parent. A lot of times if you had an authoritarian parent and you want to fix that, you don't want to be that, you'll overcorrect and you'll end up in this category where I just, I love my kids so much and I just want to spend all the time I can with them. I just want to be with them all the time. I just want to be their best friend. Warning, warning. All right, permissive parent example in the Bible is this. Let's look at the priest Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Eli had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Um, Interestingly enough, you don't find many Hophni in the nursery today. Um, And and for good reason, um, the Lord here says that they were worthless men. Can you imagine that that being the, the banner over your name in the Bible? That you are a worthless man. Because, specifically it says, they did not know the Lord. Man, I do not want God to have to say that about my kids one day. Interestingly enough, Eli, their dad, was the priest. Right? Which means that they lived the life of of worship, that they lived in the place of worship, that they were constantly saturated with worship services and sacrifices and prayers and scripture, and they would have been indoctrinated, they would have been around it all the time. And yet, they did not know God. And therefore, God says they were worthless men. Parents, listen to me today. This is proof right here that simply dragging your kids to church every Sunday is not enough to raise them in the fear 
and in the instruction of the Lord. Church is great. Church is good. It's helpful. It's a nice tool in the tool belt, but it's not enough in and of itself. It says in the scripture that the sin of these two young men was so great because they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. They were stealing from God. As people brought the offerings into the temple, they would come and they would take part of it out for themselves. That's how much disrespect they had for the Lord. And the problem was with Eli, God comes to him and he says, you know what they're doing, you see their sin, and you don't do anything about it. You don't correct them, you don't punish them, you don't discipline them, you just let it happen because you honor your sons above me. And because he loved his sons but wouldn't discipline them, he allowed them to dishonor God in the house of God because he was a permissive parent. Characteristics of a permissive parent, they mistakenly believe that a loving home and a church influence is enough. If I just love my kids enough and if I just take them to church, then it'll all work out. Right? God will get them there. And because of that, they avoid confrontation. They avoid consequences. They avoid disciplining their kids at all costs because the last thing they want to do is for their kid to be mad at them or to not like them. And so there's no clear expe- expectations. There's no limits. There's no boundaries in place to protect the kid. There might be some instruction but once they give instruction, if the kid doesn't follow it, there's no discipline. There's no consequences to that. It just is what it is. And the idol in the heart of the neglectful parent, I'm sorry, not neglectful, the permissive parent is approval. What they want more than anything is the approval of their child. They want to be their best friend. But listen to me this morning, please. Your children don't need another friend. They need a parent. And there's a difference. And if you'll parent your children now in the ways of the Lord, guess what? One day when they grow up to be adults, guess what you'll have? A friend. A friend in Christ. But it takes the hard work of disciplining and parenting now for that to be a reality. So we have neglectful, authoritarian, permissive parents. All of these are distortions of what God calls us to because of different sin and idols in our heart and in our life. But the fourth category is what we're shooting for. Number four, gospel-centered parents. This is what we want to be, right? The gospel-centered parents who's high in love and high in discipline. Both, right? So Micah, is there a biblical example of a gospel-centered parent? Yes. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is God. Right? That's what Jesus said. He prayed to to God. He said, our heavenly Father, right, in heaven, this is the example for us. It's God himself. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. I like that first part. See what kind of love the Father has given us. See it. Gaze upon it. Study it. You want to know what it looks like to be a gospel-centered parent? Look at how God parents us. Characteristics. Does God have rules for us? Yes. All right. Got a whole book. (laughs) Does God discipline us when we sin and walk away? Yes. Does God give us unconditional love even when we sin? Yes. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? He loves us in spite of our sin. Does God extend grace to us when we come back and we repent and we turn from sin? Does he forgive and extend grace? Yes. Does God turn his back on us and walk away when we sin? No. He presses in. He pursues our heart. 
He calls us out of our sin. He doesn't leave us there. He, he disciplines us so that we'll turn away from a sin, but he's there the whole time loving us and calling us back. This, this perfect balance of love and discipline that we see in God, that we see in Christ, that we see in the gospel, right? This is why the gospel has to be at the heart of our parenting is because it's a picture of us, that we are sinful people, that we have rebelled against God, that we have, and we are in need of his correction, we are in need of his discipline so that our heart will be turned away from sin and we will love him and we will follow him and because Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, all of that is possible, They've already been paid for. He's already taken the punishment for your sin on the cross. If you will just turn from that and put your faith in Jesus, God will forgive you and bring you into the family, and you will be his son or his daughter. And he will raise you up in love and discipline like only a good gospel-centered father can do. Gospel-centered parents give unconditional, sacrificial love in order to win the hearts of their children, not just their behaviors. Right? We want to discipline to correct the behavior, but we also want to love to win the hearts. They give loving discipline when their child is wrong and try to lead them towards forgiveness. Gospel Center parents graciously welcome a child back when they repent, and they rush to forgive and to extend grace. The great picture of the prodigal son uh, parable that Jesus tells, right? Like when the, the son's been gone, he's been sinning, he's been away. And when he finally comes back, it says the father pulls up his robe and starts running towards the son. Eager to forgive, eager to give grace out of the love of a parent. Gospel-centered parents desire an eternal relationship with their kids as brothers and sisters in Christ. I know you love your kid now, and the, the relationship you have with your kid now is great because they're your child and you're the parent, and, but that is not nearly as good as having an eternity with them as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we're going for. So the impact on the child of a gospel-centered parent, they learn to fear the Lord. All right? They learn to understand that God is watching even when the parents aren't. And so their obedience and their, their, their following is not just because mom and dad said so, it's because God is watching and I fear the Lord and the discipline and the consequences that will come with my sin. And number two, they learn to walk in the ways of the Lord. Right? This is what Psalm 128 told us. Fear the Lord, walk in the ways of the Lord through the parent's example and through the parent's instruction in the gospel. Proverbs 6. Proverbs is one of the books in the Bible that has the most to say about parenting. It has tons of great information, tons of great help there. But Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20 says this. My son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. 23. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the ways of life. It's all right here. Right? The father's commandment is is the lamp, the mother's teaching, is the light in order to shine light into the dark places of the child's heart and to call them back to the Lord. And so we're teaching them, we're instructing them with the ways of the Lord so they know what, who he is and how to follow him. And then we couple that with the reproofs, another word for discipline, another word for correction, so that we correct and we provide that temporary pain in hopes that that will lead them back to the loving grace of Christ where they can be saved. And we do all of this, the instruction and the discipline, so that they might walk, it says here, in the way of life, not the way of death. That is the battle cry of every parent who is fighting for the heart of their child. I want you to walk in the way of life, not death. I want you to be blessed in the ways of the Lord. Instruction and discipline. Parents are like warriors in the hands of God. Go ahead and stand with me.
if you would stand and just, just for a moment, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to just take a moment here and just let you kind of simmer on this and think on this. Let the Holy Spirit maybe speak in this moment. So everybody's just, if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. And if you're here today, and uh, maybe, maybe you're not a parent. Maybe now or have never been. Um, but maybe you did just get a flashback of your childhood. And as I was talking today, you weren't thinking about your kids. You were thinking about your parents and your home that you grew up in. And so maybe a, a great next step for you today would be to pray right now and just to ask God to help you to offer forgiveness, to offer grace to your parents. To release them from any wrong, any sin, any, any mistakes that they may have made. Just to release them from all of that because Christ has done that same thing for you. Just as we are forgiven, we forgive. So maybe you need to do some work with the Lord today about your relationship with your parents. For those of you who are parents, I want us to pray two things today for us as parents. Number one, ask the Lord to make you a reflection of the Heavenly Father. Help ask him, pray and ask God to make me into a parent like you, God. Right? Whether it be with the current kids you're raising, or if your kids are already grown, maybe this is, God, change my heart so I can go back and I can, I can Maybe undo some of what I did. Maybe I can, I can reconcile some of that with them. I can own that. So first pray that God would make us into a reflection of himself. And then number two, let's pray that we would embrace the role of a warrior. Parents, we are warriors. And we need to ask God to give us the courage to both fully love and fully discipline our kids. Let's press into the Lord today for both of those things. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your great example of love and discipline. Lord, you, you approach us every day, every moment with that perfect balance of truth and grace. Lord, thank you for Christ and and his sacrifice on the cross that makes it possible for us to even have this relationship with you. And God, help us to learn, help us to reflect that same love, that same instruction, that same discipline to our kids. Lord, we know that we are imperfect parents. We all are. And we know, Lord, that we need you. We can't do this on our own. Please use us in spite of ourselves, in spite of our failures and our shortcomings, Lord. We acknowledge today before you, Lord, that unless the Lord builds the house, we will labor in vain. So, Lord, build us. Build us as your tools. Build us as your warriors. And then build the hearts of our children for you through us. You are the builder. We give you our lives. We pray all this in Christ's name.